Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for this time. Father, we pray that you would bring us um, revelation through your word, that you would challenge us, that you would um, give us a new manner this morning. So, Father, we give this time to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'm going to give it a second. I see a bunch of people jumping in there. Um... Thank you, sir. Okay, so we are at Exodus 14. Um, yesterday, just yesterday, we just came out of um, Egypt with, um, you know, we came through this time of Passover. So we just got to kind of remember where we were and where we are now. Okay, so I'm going to start reading. Uh, let me just bring this up here. I have like six different devices in front of me. Okay. All right. So Exodus 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near this place, Pi, whatever it is, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Uh, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. Um, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all of his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this okay so i'm gonna stop there okay so a couple of observations here he says um encamp by the sea so in some ways god's almost setting up a little ambush here for pharaoh um, and we'll notice that even after the horror of the death of the firstborn so in chapter 13 that change of heart in Pharaoh was only temporary, right? And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. So he was quick to strike back at Israel again um, when he had the chance. Okay, verse three. Um, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in confusion. So this is exactly what God wants Pharaoh to believe, right? Um, God told Moses to lead Israel in a way that looked confused, but we know that God is not a God of confusion. Everything he does is deliberate, intentional. And why? Because God said, I will gain glory for myself through it. So God's name would be made big and glorified because of what he was going to do 
even in what seemed to look like confusion, God was not confused and God would get glory from it. Okay, I'm going to go to verse five. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had, had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. Um, <laughs> I don't understand these um, Egyptians, right? They've just lost their firstborn. You know, they've just come through a time of 10 plagues. And apparently they have a very short memory because about a week has gone by. And they're asking themselves, what have we done? Uh, we have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. Now, I can think of at least 10 good reasons why they let them go, right? The plagues. Um, this demonstrates how quick we are to forget what God has done and demonstrated, right? We have short-term memory loss. Um, there's a possibility that Pharaoh thought that the plagues were at the limit of God's power. And now... Um, Pharaoh could successfully strike against Israel, well, clearly it was wrong, right? Um, so I think a few things we have to um, gather from this section is, you know, I think God's reminding us that we are in a spiritual battle. Um, I think sometimes we get complacent, right? Just like Pharaoh, after all those things that happen, he still gets complacent. And I think sometimes we enter into God's kingdom thinking, uh, you know, Satan's going to forget about us, but Satan is like Pharaoh pursuing Israel, right? Relentless, uh, waiting for us to return to the fringes, to forget, to return to those things that we knew before, that complacency, so that he can destroy us. So the lesson is don't get complacent, right? Don't be like uh, Pharaoh and forget um, but also don't forget that Satan is like Pharaoh, who is pursuing, uh, pursuing us relentlessly. Um, verse 6, he says, so he had, had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. So this is his collective uh, army, his chariots, um, 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt. So Pharaoh has the best resources at his disposal, the most, the most sophisticated technology of the day, right? These chariots, this army. And so his response um, to God is using all the might he has against the people of Israel. Um, verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. And they were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So, wow, there's a lot of things going on here. So one, they were terrified. Rightfully so, when you have a massive army um, bearing down on you. Um, they could see Pharaoh's armies on one side, and then they had the Red Sea on the other. So there was no chance of escape. 
So a couple of questions that could be asking themselves, or we should be asking, why would God lead them into a trap? Well, we know it's not a trap, right? Yeah, they are locked in this valley. The army of Egypt has moved to the rear and closed off all the possibility of escape. So we have a massive army on one side. So I think there's a couple of things that God may have been doing here. Um, he wanted his people to relate experiences to him. So the experiences they've just had and the fact of his presence, right? That God is there and God is present. Now they had the, the pillar, right? And so even though God is there, sometimes they are not recognizing that he is there and what he is doing in that moment. Um, they asked this question, um, were there not enough graves in Egypt? Now, at that time, vast um, pieces of land in Egypt were set aside for death, right? So they had these um, tombs and pyramids. And so the Egyptians were, they were, <laughs> what's the right word? They were, um, I don't know, they were enthralled by death. They were captivated by this idea of death. And so, uh, the Egyptians, the Israelites are going, uh, was there not, were there not enough graves in Egypt? Are we going to die out here? Why did you bring us to this wilderness to die? And so I think a question we need to ask ourselves here is, how often do we lose confidence in God? We look at our present life situation, right? And we start to panic, just like the Egyptians. Even though we know what he's done for us in the past, we forget all the Egypts that we've been brought out of, right? We forget everything that God has done for us. Uh, we begin to reason as though God was not in the picture and as if there were no God. So we forget that God's even there. We forget what he has done for us. You know, it had been about a week that they'd been out of Egypt and they had already distorted the past, what God had done, right? They had just come out of Passover, but yet they couldn't, they couldn't focus on who God was. Um, okay, so before I move on, I don't want to lose track of that question. How often do we lose confidence in God? And what are all the Egypts that we've been brought out of? You know, we should take a moment to remember everything that God has brought us through so that we remember that God is with us, has been with us, and will always be with us. Okay, verse 13 and 14. Okay, this is Moses' response. So Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. And very important, he says, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. I'm going to pause there for a second. I'll come back to verse 15, 16. So God wanted them to realize that he can deliver them from any situation. Um, even if it takes the impossible, for he is the God of the impossible, right? Um, humanly speaking, they were trapped. There was no way out. Um, they were thinking in their own strength, even after what they had experienced in Egypt. 
um, if someone had suggested, hey, cross the sea, uh, they probably would have been stoned because that seemed impossible, right? Because that was a human thinking. Um, so we often try to look for the human solution when we should be looking to God for his supernatural solution, right? Because some things can only be done through God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, sometimes when we say, I cannot or I can't, um, that could be the, the cry that begins our victory, right? Because when we say we can't, then we start to recognize that God can. That's when we stop and we allow God to begin. So I have a statement here. Um, if we are led by God, every situation he leads us into, he will also lead us out of. What we cannot do for ourselves, God will do for us, right? We have to remember if he led us into the desert, there's a reason, and he'll lead us out of the desert. Okay, so um, a lot of things were said here, and I see some good uh, notes popping up in the chat here. So the first thing, so God gives us a, a little formula here, right? He says, stop, stand firm, right? In a time of crisis, um, we have ways to get out. It starts by stopping and going to God in prayer. So we have to stop. Why? Well, because despair will cast us down, right? It will keep you from standing. So we have to stop, go to God in prayer. Um, fear will tell you to retreat. I want to go back to Egypt. Um, impatience will tell you to do something like, uh, maybe I should jump into the Red Sea before it's parted. Disaster waiting to happen, right? So stand firm, go to God. Why? We don't want to live in the place of despair. We don't want to be impatient, right? We don't want to jump into the sea before it's parted. <laughs> so, okay, as God told Israel, he often tells us to simply stand still, stand firm, and hold your peace. Why? Because he's about to reveal his plan. It's not fun. It's Sometimes it's not easy. But we have to go on the journey out of Egypt to be able to enter the promised land, right? There's no other way there but to go on the journey. Okay. When we stand firm, we'll begin to see the deliverance, right? And the Lord will bring that he will bring us. Um, in verse 30, he says, stand firm and you will see the de deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Moses didn't know what God was going to do, but he was told to do something. He knew that the result would be good, and then God said that he would fight for that. Okay, um, let me go back to, I think I stopped at 13. Okay. 14. Okay. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the seas to divide the waters so that the Israelites can go through the sea and dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Okay. Let me just go back to where I was. 
Okay. So verse 15, he says, why do you cry to me? So in front of the people, Moses was full of faith. And in front of God, he was desperate, right? And he was crying out to him um, in prayer. And this was good because Moses had to show confidence before the nation to encourage their faith. So even though he had disbelief and a lack of faith, he knew that God was stronger. And if he went to God, that faith, um, God would empower that faith to save his people. Uh, the second part there is, he says, why do you cry for me? It's almost like God is saying, I hear you, but I want you to pick up your staff and actually raise it over the waters now. But it comes a time when you actually have to do something. So there's a time to pray and a time to act. Okay, application question here. What has God asked you to do? And what do you continue? And what do you, are you continuing to speak without acting? So maybe God's already told you to do something. He's told you to raise up your staff. He's told you to stop doing something. And sometimes we keep speaking, we keep speaking, we keep um, calling out to God, but we don't do what he's asked us to do. So what is God asking you to do in this situation? What is he asking you to act on? Okay, uh, verse 18, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. So, I love this part of the story because he's saying they'll know why because you know, they're going to be dead and your people, not them, the Egyptians will be dead and the Israelites will know because they'll see this. They'll see these bodies um, of the people I have defeated. And so this is a powerful story and we might think of this as history, but it's really his story. And so as God does these things in the lives of the Israelites or in our lives, he's calling us um, to remember because he will gain glory through this. Ephesians 3.10, uh, we'll jump to the New Testament for a moment. It says his, in, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made, made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Okay, so by remembering what God has done, um, we are encouraged, but we are also declaring um, God's power to the powers and principalities in the heavenly realm, right? So it's not just an earthly battle, it's not just about remembering, but it's also a declaration um, to, in that spiritual battle that we live in, that God is powerful and that he has overcome and he will overcome. Um, one of the things I, I love about um, Jewish traditions and Jewish families is that they come together every week and they share stories. And a lot of the stories are the stories of um, Passover. Um, they celebrate and they remember what God has done. And these, these are practices they pass on um, to their children. Um, Sukkoth, I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, but that's an eight-day um, Jewish festival which com commemorates the period when they lived in the wilderness, right? Also called Feast of Tabernacles. 
So these are things that remember what God has done and they pass them on um, to their children and to the next generation. Um, Psalm 78, uh, verses 5 through 8. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to, yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like the ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. You know, the importance of um, sharing story and remembering what God has done is not just for us, but it's for future generations, right? We need our children and our children's children to know what God has done. We need to, them to know about Passover. We need them to know about the Israelites in the desert, how God has redeemed them and brought them through um, hard times, right? Um, so story, verse 18, I just want to say one more time. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And so I think God is reminding us, you know, remember, and when you do remember, you're giving glory to me. Okay. How are we doing? Okay, we're all right on time. Verse 19. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, okay, now, so was in front, withdrew, and went behind them. Pillar of cloud also moved in from the front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt um, and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other. So neither went near the other all night long. So, okay. So we have this specially commissioned angel and the pillar of cloud. So we find that in Exodus 13, 21, as a barrier between Israel and this Egyptian army that's pursuing them. So through the night, God protects them um, until a way was made through the Red Sea. So God is saying, hey, sometimes you just have to stand firm. Sometimes you just have to wait. Allow me to do what I'm doing because the way out is coming, but you've got to get through the night, right? So we often have a little idea of how much God does to protect us, right? We don't know what he's doing behind the scenes. We don't know how he's acting, how he's protecting us from the attacks of our unseen enemies. It's a spiritual battle that we are involved in. Um, we sometimes feel that we are overwhelmed in a present uh, spiritual struggle, but we may not know what it would be like if the Lord pulled back his protection, right? So remember that God is always there. We don't even know we don't know what we don't know, what God is doing for us, how he's acting for us. Okay. Now this pillar that came between them. Um, let me just see where I'm, okay. Um, so this pillar prevented the Egyptians from pursuing them, it protected them for a while. Now, if they had submitted to the Lord who blocked their way with his presence, would they have been spared their coming destruction? 
interesting question. Okay, so the pillar was a source of darkness to the Egyptians, but a source of light to Israel. And this is a fantastic picture of how the glory of God can be light to one person, but darkness to another, right? And it's kind of crazy that something that is good, it all depends on your perception and how you approach it. Is it life-giving or is it darkness to you? Um, this is actually um, brings me to a very interesting point. Um, it's the double nature of the glory of God in salvation and judgment, right? So through, through what Christ did for us on the cross, um, we should have been judged. There was a judgment that was for us, but yet through the redemptive nature of God and the cross, we are set free, right? So we see this um, double nature of God. Yeah, there's judgment, but there's also life. Um, the word of God has a dark side to sinners, right? Because it brings judgment. It points out things that are wrong. But to those of us that believe, it brings life, right? The scripture brings life. Okay, so let me get back to 21 and 22. So this is the action part. Um, so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back. So we know that the pillar was there all night, right? And it says all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. So Moses stretches out his hand. You know, God does this miracle now. Um, I've done some research on this. Um, some writings say the Red Sea, um, you know, the Hebrew phrase Red Sea, which actually means Red Sea. And scholars and archaeologists for years have tried to figure out, you know, where is this place where the Israelites crossed? So we don't know exactly where this was. There is some archaeological evidence now where they think it was, but it doesn't really matter, right? The reality is that God used a natural phenomenon to do something incredible, to do a miracle. Bottom line is the waters were separated. The Israelites were allowed to cross through in one night. And then God brought those waters back together again to destroy um, the Egyptians. It was an incredible miracle. Um, I've actually heard people say, um, depending on which um, um, religious background they have, um, some people will say, well, the Sea of Reeds was actually only a couple of feet deep. And that just makes me think that's even a bigger miracle if God can drown all those Egyptians in a few feet of water, right? So it doesn't matter. God did a fantastic miracle. Um, verse 23. The Egyptians pursued them, and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. That's pretty amazing, right? God did everything he needed to do, <laughs> jamming wheels. And the Egyptians said, 
let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched his hand out over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing um, toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. Um, I'm gonna shorten this a little bit. Okay, so clearly it was, it wasn't Moses, it was God's power, right, that did this miracle. And the fact that this happens basically at daybreak, you know, the Egyptians are destroyed, which allows the Israelites to see that these people have been destroyed. So they see that God's hand and God's power and their deliverance, um, the deliverance at the Red Sea was a turning point in Israel's history, right? Um, they still had a lot of troubles and travels ahead of them, but this was a turning point. Um, but the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Um, so there was confirmation that the deliverance was real and complete, right? They saw the dead bodies. God wanted them to know that their oppressors were dead. Um, so a few application points here. I think we need to look back and remember the blessings that God has given us, right? What has God delivered us from? You know, who are your Egyptians? Uh, where was your Egypt? Uh, what Egypt has God brought you out of? Um, maybe you're still in slavery or bondage and you have to ask God to reveal that to you. Will you allow God to free you? Just like the Israelites were freed and brought out. Will you allow him to do it? Do that, and you and are you willing to go on the journey that he's going to take you through? You know, another thing to remember is um, Passover and the miracle at the Red Sea go hand in hand, right? Um, if not for the victory at the Red Sea, the redemption at Passover would have meant nothing, right? If God had made it stop there and they didn't get through the Red Sea, well, it would have been mean, meaningless. Um, they would have, but on the other hand, they would have never made it to the Red Sea without the miracle of God's redemption at Passover. So these two things go hand in hand. Um, in this, my final point here, in the same way, the redemption of the cross would mean nothing without the miracle of resurrection, right? The works of these two things, the two works of deliverance go hand in hand. And so finally, you have the power of redemption and resurrection available to you. What God has done through the cross is the power that he's given you to come out of the promised land, I mean, out of Egypt, to go on this journey, whatever it is. So I just want to challenge us today, you know, one, 
you know, allow God to bring you out of that Egypt. If you're still in Egypt, allow him to bring you on that journey. Have the courage to go on that journey. It might not be easy. It might be tough. You know, God is telling you to stand firm, right? To stop and turn to him and allow him to lead you out of that place that he's led you into. Because on the, to get to the promised land, we have to go through the desert, right? We have to come out of Egypt. So I just want to encourage you this morning, you know, allow, allow God to work in your life, allow him to question, allow him to challenge you, question you. Um, don't be like Pharaoh, right? Don't let your heart be hardened. Allow him to speak life into you, allow him to deliver you. And so I'm thankful um, for these chapters so far in the journey. I hope this has been helpful to you. I'm going to pray and let you guys go. We're good so far. All right, there's a lot of stuff going on in Exodus, right? It's pretty packed. All right, let me pray. Father, we uh, just thank you that you are the God of deliverance, that you are willing and able to bring us out of our Egypts, that we just have to turn to you, Father. Father, we also thank you for the things you've already done in our lives, the many blessings you've given us. Father, help us to remember, and when we do that, we declare your goodness um, and your power, even in the heavenly realms, Father, that the powers and principalities would know that you are God of power and authority. Father, help us to um, share our, our story, but more important, your story, um, with those that are around us, even with the next generation, so they might know um, who you are and how you have redeemed us and the plan of love you have for us. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the redemptive power that we have through the cross and what you have done. So Father, we thank you. We pray that you would um, help us journey um, out of Egypt through the desert and into the promised land. And we know that that takes courage. Father, it takes us standing firm, stopping, pausing, and turning to you. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you, and we thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. It's been fun.